John 3, 1 to 21 says this. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the chance to come uh, and to worship you. Thank you for the chance to read your word and to be challenged by it. Thank you for these words to, to study what Jesus said when he was here on earth, these things that he told us. May we cherish them. May we remember, remember them well and apply them to our lives. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I've really enjoyed this week studying this passage. Um, it's probably one of the most well-known uh, passages of the Bible, that being John 3.16, which is in the midst of it all. Um, and uh, there's just a lot of great stuff here. <laughs> um, seeing how Jesus interacts with Nicodemus and the answers he gives to Nicodemus's questions, 
uh, is powerful, and I hope that as we walk through them, um, we will be encouraged and challenged as well uh, to remember really the simple central truth that they're proclaiming, that there is one Son of God, and He has come to earth. His name is Jesus, and He died on a cross for our sins. It's really as simple as that. Uh, that's why John 3.16 is so popular. It really encases the whole message in, in one verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's been plastered through every sporting event, <laughs> every political rally, every uh, street corner, wherever you go. Probably in America, you, you may have seen John 3.16 somewhere. If you know any verse of the Bible, most likely it is that one. Other ones people like are like, Thou shalt not judge others. <laughs> you know, we do like that one. Um, but this is one of the most popular of the verses, and it's so simple, it's so deep, and so true. So let me set it up a little bit for you. Um, in the beginning of this, uh, this book, John, that we're looking at, we're seeing sort of the beginning days of Jesus' ministry, particularly in Judea. And one of the situations that has happened is that just before this, he is in Jerusalem. He's performing great works. It says in uh, verses 23, uh, 23, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. He turned water into wine, and he didn't, John doesn't record all the other detailed uh, uh, miracles and things he was doing at that time, but he did many signs there in Jerusalem. And so these were so impactful to the culture and to what was going on that a man named Nicodemus comes as sort of poking around asking questions. And truthfully, there's some debate about why Nicodemus did in fact come in the way that he comes. He, he comes uh, under cover of night. Uh, he comes, he is a ruler of the Jews. Um, he sort of speaks in the plural. He talks about uh, we, you know, we have seen these things. Um, in verse 2 there, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs unless God is with him. Um, and so his motives are sort of a little bit unclear to us. Is he coming in dark not to be seen by others, uh, that, that he's coming to ask Jesus questions? Is he coming in the dark because he himself has some personal questions, and the reason he's using this we language is like, you know, my friend has some questions. Could you, I'm just asking for a friend. You know, um, so we're not sure, and there's a lot of debate about why he comes and asks the questions the way that he asks them. And we could, you know, look at all those details all we want, and you could read commentaries on what people think about it, but really it's speculation. Ultimately, what we know is that Nicodemus has come to Jesus. And he either came to get information for others, or he came to get information for himself, but his question is simply this. What is your deal? <laughs> Literally, he's like, who are you, right? The best he can come up with is that you must be a great teacher from God, right? Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs unless God is with him. Jesus doesn't really, I mean, there isn't a full question there even. He just sort of states something and Jesus just responds. He responds three times with this statement, truly, truly, sort of emphatically stating something to Nicodemus as he answers uh, his questions and answers his comments. And first he says this, truly, truly, I say to you, 
Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Did that have anything to do with what Nicodemus said at all? Doesn't seem like it on the surface of things, but what Nicodemus comes to Jesus with, he doesn't even know really what question he should ask of Jesus. He's just like, hey, what's going on? Because I want to know what you're doing. It must be from God. You, maybe you're a great teacher, you know. Jesus cuts right to the matter of it. Says, I know what you're asking. These aren't the drones you're looking for. <laughs> he, he knows the question that is beyond Nicodemus' sort of striving after things. He says, what you're really looking for is the kingdom of God, Nicodemus. What your heart is longing for is who I represent and who I am. And so he says, truly, truly, um, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What's he saying? You won't know who I am unless you're born again. You won't know truly who I am unless you come to a faith in me and what I have done. Now granted, you know, this is very early in Jesus' ministry. All we know is that he's doing these signs and Nicodemus hasn't seen Jesus die on a cross yet. All he has seen is Jesus performing some miracles, maybe doing some teaching. And that's basically the extent of his knowledge. For us looking back at it, we're like, oh yeah, well in three years, Jesus is going to die on the cross and raise again and all these people are going to believe. Nicodemus doesn't have that knowledge. Jesus is simply saying, listen buddy, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you're going to have to be born again that's all I can tell you right now. <laughs> so Nicodemus has, you know, a pretty good question in response. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? He's like struggling with it on a physical level. Like, what? Like born again? What does that even mean? Like, what are you talking about, Jesus? I can't go be birthed again. There's no mother in this room that wants to rebirth anybody, okay? I'm certain of that. They were big enough when they came out the first time. Um, so there's no rebirth that's happening. And Nicodemus is, is just really sort of struggling, like, what are you talking about? Like, he's grappling with this whole concept entirely. Jesus answers him again, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Right there, he, you know, tells Nicodemus, listen, I'm not talking about anything physical. I'm talking about a spiritual rebirth that has to happen inside of you. Like something is in you that has to be birthed. It has to be changed from something that isn't there to something that is there. I mean, before you were born, where were you? You were nothing. We weren't even in existence. That's at least our belief. Our belief is that we were formed by God in our mother's womb. We didn't exist before then. And so here, that's uh, exactly what Jesus is saying to him. Something new has to be birthed in you. You have to be born not of the flesh again. Now you have to be born of the spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. He says that's happened. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel at what I said to you. You must be born again. Jesus opens up uh, what he's saying to Nicodemus and says there's a spiritual rebirth that has to happen inside of you. 
Verse 8 is powerful for us, uh, for Nicodemus as he hears it. And for us as believers, I, I think, uh, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Here again, he's going on to describe a little bit further those who are born of the Spirit. And a bit more about what the spiritual birth is like. Uh, first of all, you know, it's the, the Spirit itself is like the wind. You don't know where it came from. You don't know where it's going to take you. <laughs> the only thing is you hear it sound. I don't know about you, but uh, I've heard many testimonies, and, and even in my walk with the Lord and journey with Him, when the Spirit has moved in me in a particular way, I wasn't like um, expecting it necessarily, you know? Like, I might have been, you know, maybe doing something spiritual, but didn't expect something miraculous to happen, and sometimes the Lord just comes when you don't even expected. I've told my testimony before that at one point in high school, I thought I was all that and, uh, and thought that I had this identity of being a Christian. I thought that was really cool and I was satisfied in my identity as being labeled Christian. And God ripped that from me and said, it's not really about you feeling good about your identity. It's about your relationship with me. And when he told me that, I was literally, I mean, I was just listening to worship music in my house and the Spirit moved on me and was like, you've got it all wrong, buddy. <laughs> You're worshiping your identity instead of just worshiping me. The Spirit moved in that. Was I expecting Him to do that on New Year's Day of my sophomore year? I wasn't expecting Him to show up in that way. But He came and I heard His voice and I grabbed onto it. And maybe your story when you came to know the Lord you might have been going one completely opposite direction and the Spirit of God moved around your circumstances in life and you saw it and you grabbed it and caught on to it and you were born again. This is the way the Spirit works. You don't know where it came from or where it's going, but it's rushing around you. What's cool here for, that, that's cool just as, for anybody, like whether you're a believer or not, the Spirit is here and He is ready to take you up into His arms and unto the Father. But it's a cool thing also for a believer is that uh, Jesus says, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You know, we've talked a lot in our church about the priesthood of the believer and that each of us carries the Spirit of the Lord as we've come to the Lord. Like when we come to faith in Jesus, the Spirit of the Lord lives in us and goes with us wherever we go. And so as you go in this world to and fro, you are the Spirit. And as you walk by people, people might not even understand the type of things that you do. They might look at you with like crazy eyes thinking, I don't understand them, but there's something about them. That's how you are as a person that's born of the Spirit. Sometimes our actions don't match up with what the logical uh, workings of the world appear to be. But yeah, the Spirit is moving us, changing us, and brushing us up against people's lives. Jesus says, The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. 
Nicodemus, still questioning, says, how can this be? And Jesus, at this point, a little like, he seems a little perturbed here in his response, says, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? He says, Nicodemus, you... You're, you're a ruler of the people of Israel. Like, you ought to be the one that understands that there's something bigger than just the physical realm here, that there's a God in heaven that wants to have a, a relationship with his people and has chosen his people. And you don't understand this. And in mercy, continues to answer his question, says, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? He says, I'm telling you right now how it works on this earth. I'm telling you that there is a God in heaven whose spirit is moving along this earth and wants you to be reborn here. So I can't reveal to you what is in heaven now if you don't believe me about what is on earth happening in your soul. He goes on to explain, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, verses 14 and 15, which I just read, are, are right before the most, like I said already, the, one of the most popular uh, passages of Scripture, John three sixteen, but John three fourteen and fifteen are uh, are really the last words of Jesus in this passage, and they're uh, they're probably one of the most interesting verses uh, that isn't known in the Bible, verses 13, 14 and fifteen. Jesus tells Nicodemus really how you come to eternal life. How how do you how are you restored to eternal life with the Father. How do you receive that? He says it's like this. He says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. What is he talking about? <laughs> Moses lifting up a serpent? Like, what, what is that? Right, that has some context. The story in Numbers chapter 21 is about the, uh, it was what he's referring to here, and it's about uh, when the Israelites were coming out of Egypt, they were in the wilderness and they were on their way to the land that God had prepared for them. Well, on that way, it turns out it wasn't like such an easy journey. <laughs> in fact, when they got out there, they didn't have any food and so God provided food from heaven and then they didn't have any water and so God brought water out of a rock for them. And every time they were without, they cried out to Moses and to God, beseeching them and almost like rebuking them for bringing them out of this land of plenty called Egypt. So we were better off in Egypt where we had food and we had water and we weren't worried about where we were going to sleep at night. They were doubting God over and over in the wilderness, which to us as we look back on it is like, how? How did you, how? How are you possibly doubting a God who like defeats Pharaoh through plagues, takes you by pillar of cloud and fire through a Nile, you know, through the Red Sea that is parted miraculously and you walk through it a million people. Like, how do you ever doubt God when he's moved in that way, right? How are they crying? How are they 
concerned that they don't have water. This God has parted the sea and destroyed the enemies of Pharaoh before your eyes. Like, what? How are you doubting? Before we cast judgment on them, we do have to look at ourselves and see that many a time in our life, God has moved in a powerful way. And we find ourselves in dry seasons saying, God, where are you? He says, trust me. I'm with you even now. I was with you then in a powerful moment. and I'm with you now in a time when you're not feeling so emotionally powerful. Right? So, in this scenario, they, they're crying out to God and they're crying out to Moses and saying, why aren't we back in Egypt? We're out here in the middle of the desert. We don't know where we're going. And they're literally sort of, con- sort of calling judgment on, on Moses, the leader of God here. And, uh, and so as a response to their uh, lack of faith and their disobedience and sort of uh, condemning Moses for leading them out here, uh, God sends these venomous serpents into the camp. And so these, these snakes are, you know, if they bite someone, that person is, is going to die. Basically, they're, they're poisonous snakes and they're in this camp. And so as they're going about this camp, uh, this happens to some people and some people die because of the snakes, the snake bites, right? And so they're crying out to the Lord in repentance and saying, Lord, we're sorry, we're sorry. Why did we ever doubt? We should have trusted you. And they call out and say, Moses, please, you know, intercede for us. And the Lord tells Moses to make a bronze serpent and set it on a pole in the camp. And that whenever anyone gets bit by a snake in the camp, that if they fix their eyes on this bronze serpent that has been uh, set on the pole, that they will live. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. It was a picture back then. And, And over and over again, these pictures are throughout the Old Testament of the fact that God is the one who saves. God is the one who created and God is the one who saves. When these, uh, these children of Israel are bit by a snake, who is going to save them from that? The one that brought them out there in the first place. And as they look at the, the serpent made by Moses on a pole there in the wilderness, the venom is gone and released and they're safe again. Just another picture of the fact that God takes our punishment. God takes on our punishment over and over again. There's another story in the wilderness where Moses strikes a wa- rock and water comes out. It says in that instance that the Lord stands on the rock and takes the punishment, the hitting of Moses upon that rock. What is that a picture of? God standing in for the, the punishment that we deserve. The same thing with this pole, the snake on a pole. God is standing, on, standing in for the punishment that we deserve. The punishment that was given to the camp of Israel, these venomous snakes, it was deserved. They doubted the Lord, they sinned against the Lord, and a judgment came upon them. And God said, I want to demonstrate to you my mercy even in this. If you will believe in me, I will save you. 
and I'll do it over and over again. I will save you. I will save you. And so Jesus, in realization of that sort of uh, picture of what is ahead, fulfills it. And it says here in verse 14 and 15, just as the Moses just as Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is the central verse of our passage. These are the word, last words to Jesus, uh, from Jesus to Nicodemus. Whoever believes in Jesus will have eternal life. We are living in a world of many traps and many lies and many um, temptations. And our only hope of rising above that and, and obtaining eternal life that God has purchased for us is to believe on the Son. Uh, to look at Moses, just, uh, just look at this, the bronze serpent on the pole, you know, to believe in God. And to cast him as our savior and him alone. You know, a funny thing that I learned as I was researching this a little bit more about the snake is that uh, later on, it turns out that um, the children of Israel kept the bronze snake and they had begun to worship it. And they worshiped it and worshiped it and brought it different sacrifices. Okay, this bronze snake that, that Moses made in the wilderness. Okay, they kept it. They're like, that snake is powerful. They kept it and they worshiped it throughout their time. Not until Hezekiah the king came and was renewed in faith as he read the scripture that they need to return to the Lord. Did they find the snake and break it into pieces? What does that tell us? Again, like, here is an image that was meant to save and to demonstrate a picture of who God is. And we as dark-hearted humans can turn that thing into religion in the blink of an eye. Oh, just worship this snake. It'll just help you out. Like you totally missed the whole deal. It wasn't about the snake. It wasn't about the ark itself. It wasn't about uh, the rock that brought the water. It wasn't about those things. It was about the God who stood in those things. It was about the spirit that was moving in them. It was all to point to this one fact that it is God who saves us. Whoever believes in Jesus may have eternal life. Verses 16 to 21, uh, our understanding is actually a continuation. Of, it's a continuation of this passage, but it's really John uh, who recorded this gospel. It's his uh, reflection on Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. Before I studied this passage, I thought it was Jesus' words continuing. Uh, but actually, if you look into it, uh, the, the language is a little bit different, and it shifts right at verse 16. And really, this is John um, sort of providing commentary on uh, Jesus and his, and his uh, conversation with Nicodemus. Um, doesn't make it uh, less the word of God. It is still the word of God. It just doesn't happen to be the words of Jesus here. Um, but he says this. He says, For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, as I was looking at that this week, I was thinking about the different pieces of it, right? For God so loved the world. That's one we can get on board with very easily, right? God is a God of love. He created the world. He is perfect. And he loves the world. God so loved the world. How is he going to show his love to the world? How is he going to do it? Is the question after that statement. Okay, God so loved the world. Then what? Then he's going to make everything easy? Then he's going to just make everyone perfect in a flash of an eye. I mean, he could have done that, right? Jesus shows up on the scene and heals people miraculously. God is the one who created us from the very beginning. He knows every cell in our body. Could he have just made things perfect at that moment? God so loved the world that he made everything perfect. No. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He could have done anything with his love for the world. He could have ended the world. He could have made it perfect. He could have done anything. What does God do from a position of love for the world? He sends his son, his one and only son. Why? There's a burden. There's a brokenness in us. We each know that there, there is a past that is in our lives that has broken our relationship with God. And if we look deep enough, we know that we can never repay that past. There's nothing, no amount of works that we can stack up that will lead to what we deserve to honor God with in our lives. We can't overcome it. We've built too big a mountain of sin in our past to overcome, even if we were perfect the rest of our days. We can never restore ourselves to a perfect father. And so, because God so loved the world, knowing that there's no hope for anyone in the world to become perfect again like he is, He sent his only son. God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loves the world and doesn't want to see the world perish. But he's a just God and a holy God and he will not stand for evil or let it pass. He will punish it. And his love for us who continue to make snakes into religions. (laughs) Says, all right, you know what it's going to take for them to understand? Not another image. They'll just turn it into another religion. It's going to take my son dying on the cross for their sins. That whoever looks at him and believes in him, has faith in him, shall have eternal life. God didn't send his son to the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. 
You see, before Jesus came into your life and into mine, he doesn't have to say anything to condemn us. We're already condemned. We already know and are aware that we are broken. We are aware that we are in need of repentance. He doesn't come to condemn. He comes to see you where you are and say, I will go. I will pay the penalty for you. I will die for you. I know you are condemned. I know you feel a brokenness and a longing to be restored to the Father that has made you. The only way you can is through the blood that I will shed on the cross for you. This is the judgment, John continues. The light has come into the world, the light being Jesus. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. I call to you this morning. Come to the light. (laughs) Come to the light. If you don't know the Lord, come to the light. He wants to restore you unto himself. He wants you to be made whole with the Father. And he's provided a way for you too. He's given his son for you. If you know the Lord, Come to the light. (laughs) So many of us as believers even have our faith as a snake instead of as Lord Jesus. Let's put away things of religion and come to our Father who loves us. Uh, Come to a trust in Jesus who gave his life for us and and daily look unto, not a snake, (laughs) not our accomplishments, whatever that snake is, right? Our accomplishments, our religion, our family, uh, whatever it is that you look to for your satisfaction in this life, stop looking at it and look at the Lord. He is the one that brings us to the Father. He is the one that brings all satisfaction to our souls. He is the one that carries us through every circumstance that we will face. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for Nicodemus and Jesus and the conversation they had. We thank you for the rushing of your spirit in this place and in our lives. And God, and we pray that where we feel the Spirit moving, we would move with it. God, that we would trust you, that we would believe on you, that we would not look to the things of this world to find our satisfaction and find our confidence and find our strength, but that we look to our Creator, our God who saves our God who knows every circumstance and situation we walk through, every cell in our body. Thank you, Jesus, for the penalty that you took on for us, that we could be restored to God the Father. 
It's in his holy name we pray. Amen.